Good morning. It's good to be back again. Good to see all of you. And as was said, we are continuing in the book of John, Gospel according to John, John chapter 3. The first week I was here, we did John, the beginning of John chapter 3, we learned that we must be born again. And then last week, we learned of the great love of God towards us. We will continue today, starting in verse 22, and we will hear from John the Baptist and what he has to say about Jesus. So let us hear from the word of God, from John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing John was also baptizing at the Aenon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming to him to be baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. For you yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And this is the word of God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you once again that we are back worshiping you together, gathered. Your bride is here, Lord Jesus. May we hear from you today. May you open our eyes, our hearts, our ears to hear and receive what you have for us, that we may be encouraged, that we can go on loving you more and loving each other more, that we can point those who don't know you to your son, the groom. I pray everything In the saving name of Jesus Christ, amen. Do people ever act differently around you when they know you're a Christian? Do your friends and family sometimes apologize to you when they say a curse word or take the Lord's name in vain? I find that sometimes people do that around me. They say the name Jesus as a curse word when they're surprised or excited, or angry about something. And then they apologize to me, as if I'm the one they've offended. But I started mentioning to them that 
I'm not the one that needs the apology. I am not their judge. I am not God. I am not Jesus. They did not take my name in vain. God is the one who is getting his name used as a curse word, not me. He is the one to whom I am to point. They have not offended me. They have offended God. But yet their conscience is pricked enough to apologize because they know it was wrong to do so. But instead of saying sorry to me, they need to go to the Lord. They need to come to him in repentance and faith because just saying his name in vain is not the least of their sins against him. They've offended a holy God. You and I, we do not judge the sinner. That is God's job. The judgment of God is coming and does abide on the sinner. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. He was calling those around him, warning them of the wrath to come. Those who were religious leaders, those who were other sinners like prostitutes and tax collectors, they came to him to be baptized. And he told them, God is at hand. God is with us. In our text today, we will look at one of these conversations that John the Baptist had with his disciples and a Jew who was asking about purification. That is the washing of baptism for the forgiveness of sins. John was doing this baptism and the disciples of Jesus were also beginning to baptize. And Jesus is referred here in this text as the bridegroom. He is coming for his bride. We will walk through this text in three ways. We will see who John the Baptist is, who is the best man. He is the best man. Second, we will see and be introduced to the groom, to the bridegroom. And third, we will meet the bride. My prayer is that we come away today encouraged that we can also point others to the groom. I pray that we know that the groom is ours. And I pray that you'll be encouraged that the Father has chosen you to be the bride for his son. And let us start. We will start first with our first point. Meet the best man. Who is the best man? What is the best man at a wedding? What does he do? The best man does not marry the bride. He helps the groom prepare for the wedding. Maybe he helps pick out a tux. Maybe he, during the day of the wedding, he assists the other groomsmen in getting ready. Maybe he helps the groom stay relaxed as the ceremony approaches and eventually that bride walks down the aisle. He takes care of the all-important wedding ring to be handed over at the proper time. These are traditions of our weddings. But there was duties that John the Baptist was called to, given to him by God from heaven, to prepare the way for the true bridegroom, for that groom. And who is it that prepares the way? It is John the Baptist. We have accounts of him in all four Gospels. In Luke, we learn of the conception and birth of John. The angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, his father, and told him while he was ministering in the temple that this child John would be born to him. He was to be dedicated to the Lord and would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Zechariah, though, seemed to doubt this message because him and his wife Elizabeth were beyond childbearing age. Because he doubted, He was told he would remain silent and would not speak until all this took place. And this was so. That same angel, Gabriel, also visited Mary 
and told her she would have a child of the Holy Spirit. And this child was to be named Jesus. The angel also told, also told Mary that her relative Elizabeth was with child by Zechariah. And when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, the child in Elizabeth's womb leapt. John was already announcing the Lord was coming. Even in the womb, he knew his Savior was near. When John the Baptist was, old, was older, he began his ministry. His ministry consisted of what was foretold in the Old Testament. And Luke writes about this in chapter 3, starting in verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places shall become level. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So John the Baptist came dressed in clothes of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. This was the clothing of a prophet. This was the humble diet of a humble man. In fact, Jesus spoke of this in a conversation he had with his disciples. Jesus said in Matthew, when speaking of John, he said in uh, chapter 11, verse 7, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing live in king's houses. What did you then go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than that of a prophet. For all prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah to come. He who hears, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. John the Baptist was a prophet, a prophet in the ilk of the Old Testament. He came in the spirit of Elijah, just as he was told, the angel told Zechariah he would. The ministry of John the Baptist was that of making the way, calling people to Jesus, calling people to repent and be baptized. Jesus also said the same thing that John said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He called men to turn from sin and to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He called them to live righteous lives, lives that showed they had faith. Specifically, he called out the Pharisees and Sadducees, those who were the religious leaders. In Matthew 3, verse 7, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say you have Abraham for your father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John was warning those around him not to be comfortable in their religion not to rely on their heritage and their rituals to show that they are the people of God. He's calling them to have true faith. He's telling them that God can raise up people who aren't Jews to be his people. The Sadducees and Pharisees were just giving God lip service. They did not have real service in faith. Let that be a warning to us. Let it not be our religious rituals that we rely on for our faith. Coming to church, reading the Bible, joining prayer groups. Our religious activities do not equal salvation. Our trusting in our parents' faith 
does not equal salvation. We need a faith of our own. Just because we were raised in a Christian home, which is a blessing, does not mean we are Christians. We must have our own faith. There's only the finished work of Christ to trust in for our salvation. In the beginning of the gospel, according to John, John the Baptist directly tells people who Jesus is. After Jesus was baptized by John, he was led into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. And when he's coming back from this wilderness temptation, in John 1, verse 29, John the Baptist sees him coming, and what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I just love that sentence. Behold, the Lamb of God, it says everything, who takes away the sin of the world. He's saying, this is the one I told you. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will take away our sin. Behold, look, here he comes. This is him. I'm not even fit to untie his sandal straps. John the Baptist was not the Christ, although some were thinking he was. He is not the groom. He is the one pointing to the groom. He is the ultimate groomsman, doing what needs to be done to make sure the bride is getting ready for the arrival of the groom. And in our text today, starting in verse 22 to 24, we see a scene described where they were discussing purification, baptism, and the disciples of Jesus were baptizing. And a discussion, again, between the followers of John and a Jew about purification breaks out. And then they come to John to point out to him that many are now leaving him to go follow this Jesus. As if they were doing that to make John jealous of this new ministry that propped up. Brothers and sisters, let's be careful here. It's easy for us now to see that the followers of John leaving him was the right thing to do. But many times we see people leaving ministries, maybe our own churches. We see other churches and other Christians. And gossip breaks up in our hearts and we say, look over there. What is that person doing? What is that Christian doing? They can't worship God that way. Maybe their churches do something different than what our churches do. That can't be the way things are done. We must be careful that we do not stir up division with other Christians. Even if we think our criticism is honoring God. We must stay humble. We must be as gracious as Jesus is. We must still point to Christ. If they are following the same Christ, the same gospel, they are our brothers, they are our sisters. We can have Baptists, Pentecostals, non-denomination, Methodists, as long as they're following the same Christ, they are our brothers and sisters. Let's rejoice that they are following him. We must remember the grace that God has shown us. We must remember people. Even if they leave our own churches to go to another church, it's not us they are leaving. It's not a pastor they are to follow. It's not a ministry or a program they are to follow, but to follow Christ. And we can say with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 4, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you've believed, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives a growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. 
So let us be more like John the Baptist and point to Jesus. Let us be like Paul and point to Jesus. Continue to plant, continue to water. God brings the growth. Remember, somebody at one point once pointed you to Jesus. Somebody prayed for your salvation. If you haven't believed yet, somebody is pointing to Jesus right now. Somebody is praying for you right now. Come to the bridegroom. Come to Christ. Verse 27 of our text, John answered, A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Oftentimes after work, I'll text my wife. I'm on the way home. Do you need anything? Sometimes she say, nope, we're good. Sometimes there's a list. So then I go to the food store. I go to Aldi. Do you have Aldi around here? Mm-hmm. And I go and I'm wearing my work clothes, which consist of khakis and a blue shirt. And every so often, somebody will come up to me and say, hey, what aisle do you keep such and such in? And I'm like, what aisle? Because I'm wearing the same colors that the Aldi workers do. So sometimes I say, oh, I don't work here. But sometimes if I know where the item is, I'll, I'll point them in that direction. I won't say anything. But. but John is not the Christ. John is not, just like I wasn't the worker at Aldi, John is not Christ. He it was a prophet. John himself explains here his mission does come from God. He was exalted to that position by God. And he has told his followers and detractors that he is not the Christ, but he was sent to prepare the way. Yes. He goes on to explain in verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. Now, I, w- I was never a best man at a wedding. I was a groomsman a few times. And my duty was, as people arrived for the ceremony, was to show them where their seat is, where they can join in this wedding ceremony. John is not the groom, but he is bringing people to their seats when the groom approaches. He's preparing the way and calling the people to have their hearts ready to receive him when he comes. Have you ever known someone who did not believe in Christ and then one day you found out now? They are Christians. Maybe you share the gospel with them and you were trying to just show them where they could see at the wedding. But you didn't see fruit right away. But now you've heard that they believe. What a great day of rejoicing that we have more in the kingdom of God. We rejoice that they heard the bridegroom's voice. They were sheep gone astray and they heard the voice of the shepherd. They knew his voice. I hope we all experience that, that we know people who didn't believe, but now they believe. Both the joy of knowing Christ and the great joy of knowing others who have come to the bridegroom. And now John says he must decrease. It was time for his ministry to pass away. It was time for the old covenant to end. The Jews were under the covenant of Moses. They had the sacrificial ceremonies, laws, and ordinances. They will take animals without spot or blemish to be sacrificed, to be killed by the priest, offered up for the forgiveness of sins. It was bloody and it was done every day in the temple. It was time for that to decrease. It was time for that to go away. 
these sacrifices could never take away sin. But what they did was along with John was point to the one to come who really could take away sin. John pointed to that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His ministry was to draw attention and to call people who would come to the one who was to increase. One day, the job of pastor will go away. The job of the preacher will go away. I love preaching, but I look forward to that day when it will be no more. No more need. Yes. The living and true word will be with us. Yes, we won't need to point to him. He will be here. The lamb, the true groom. Come, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. So let's learn a little more about the groom. Who is the groom in our second point? Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. John knows who has come down from heaven. He has revealed him. This is not just a prophet like him. This is not just a man like him. This is a heavenly man who is from above. He has authority over all things. John, although he was filled with the Holy Spirit, was of the earth. As other prophets have been. He has a sin nature. He's from the first man, Adam, who is earthly. Jesus, the second man, has no sin. He is from above. He's the son of God from heaven. He was with the Father in glory before he came in the flesh. John starts his gospel this way in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. Jesus Christ, the Word, became flesh, and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among his people. He was with God the Father face to face in the beginning. As far back as we can go. And go further back and further back. He was with him for all eternity. That Jesus, leaving glory, took on human flesh to come to live and to die on the cross. He took the curse of sin upon himself. He kept the law perfectly, dying a sinner's death. Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. There's been a popular TV show out for several years now. It's a reality TV show where the head of a big company would often come in disguise and work alongside the people that worked for that company. While he's there... He gets to know the employees. Some work very hard. He finds out their stories. And some of their stories are are tragic. Maybe it's a single mother or somebody struggling to pay bills. But he notices while he's working alongside of them that they're hardworking people. But he also will notice some people who aren't working so hard, who aren't doing the right things on the job. And at the end of the show, the boss reveals who he really is or who she really is. And often the hardworking employees are rewarded with either money, a promotion, a car, maybe a college scholarship. And those who aren't working so hard or doing the right things, they get fired. The boss goes down into the field of his employees to become like one of them, to get to know them, and if he can, to help them, and if he needs to, to deal out justice. Christ came down 
God the Son in the flesh became lowly. He lived as you and I lived, yet without sin. And those around Jesus, not for what they do, but by faith, are given more than a promotion, more than money, more than a car. By grace through faith, we are given new life. The groom has come for his bride. I love these lyrics in the hymn, The Church One Foundation. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. So who is this bride? Here's our third point. Who is the bride? Verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Jesus came from heaven. He has seen and heard heavenly things. He speaks of them, yet many did not receive his testimony. They reject the Savior. The Jews had the scriptures that testify of this Messiah, of the suffering servant to come. They had the prophecies, the one to be born of the virgin in Bethlehem. They knew a child would be born and a son given, yet many rejected the Savior, the same God, the Son who walked among them. But there are some who didn't. As was pointed out in the uh, out the disciples of John were leaving him to go follow Jesus. They believed and received the testimony of Jesus. They believed God. John 1, verse 11. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive them, he believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The writer of this gospel often repeats the importance of believing. He also tells us over and over that belief does not come from our own will, but from the will of God. You must be born again, not of blood, but of the spirit of God. And he ends this gospel with John 20, verse 31, saying, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Brothers and sisters, you may know you have life in his name. Right now, you may know that you are the bride. You are the bride of Christ. The Father has chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world to be his. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Son. But you, dear Christian, belong to the Son. You are his, he is yours. One day you will see him face to face. To live is Christ, to die is gain. You are his now and forever. One of the historic catechisms of our faith, the Heidelberg Catechism, starts with this question and answer. What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but I belong, body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, 
assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now to live for him. I have often said this these past three Lord's Days to you to remind you of this. I say it because you and I, we so easily forget this. We get caught up in our day-to-day lives. We fall into our sin. We get complacent. We have guilt. We have shame. We feel we're not worthy of acceptance. The truth is we are guilty. We are sinners. We are not worthy. But listen. God loves you. He loves you. His word says that. He loves you. And he loves you with a great love we cannot even fathom. We have not even earned this love. We don't deserve this love, but God loves you. God the Father loves God the Son, and he sent him to come to get his bride, whom God also loves. You belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death. And I love this line from the historic creed, the Nicene Creed. It says, For us men and women, and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. Jesus came down from heaven for you. He came down from heaven for the salvation and cleansing of his bride. And that mission is accomplished. Verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Have you believed in the Son? Have you believed in the groom come down from heaven? Have you believed in the only son who can take away the sins? Have you? Have you been born from above? I ask because I want you to believe. I can't make you believe, but I want you to believe because I love you too. Amen. Thank you, Father. I want you to believe because also what it says at the end of this verse, the wrath of God abides on you. The wrath remains on you. You will not have eternal life, but only eternal damnation. And I don't want that for anyone. None of us should want that for anyone. People will be cast into hell where there's outer darkness. There's weeping of gnashing of teeth. The fire is not quenched. This is real. The Bible also says this. Hell is real. Those who continue in unbelief will not see life. They will not have life. But I want you to know the groom. I want you to have a seat at the wedding. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't put it off. When is the day of salvation? Today. Today is the day of salvation. And if you have believed, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And if you have believed, go be like John the Baptist. Go point people to Christ. Go to the highways. Go to the byways. Go to your neighbor. Tell them, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, look, he has taken away my sin. Yes, Lord. He can take away yours too. Yes, Lord. Tell them to flee the wrath to come into the loving arms of the Father who gave his son to live and die and rise for his bride and believe by the power of the Holy Spirit that this was done for you. And then decrease as Jesus increases he came down from heaven and he will come again to judge the living and the dead 
Don't be found in sin, but be found in him. John the Baptist lived to clear the way to usher people to the groom. The groom came to live, die, and rise for his bride and the glory of God. The bride are all those who believe that the groom came for them by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. The wedding is coming. He has a wedding garment for you. He'll put it on you. Come into the wedding feast. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the bridegroom who came down from heaven. Behold the bridegroom cometh again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your love is unfathomable. I can't even say that word, Lord. We look forward to the day when we see you face to face, when the bridegroom comes again to take his bride to himself, when there's a new heavens and a new earth, when he wipes away every tear. No more pain, no more sorrow. But until that day comes, Lord, may we be encouraged to point others, as John the Baptist did, to Christ, to the Lamb of God. May we point to him, the only one who can take away our sin. May we be faithful to you. May we love you and love each other. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. May we love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.